As we near Thanksgiving, this unique holiday dedicated to the practice of gratitude, it's good to turn our attention to those in our society whose lives have not turned out so well. So many complicated issues, so much need. Today we look at those living on death row, and we come with questions. How would Jesus have us respond to the horror of murder? Is the best way to address an evil trauma with another trauma? What does God's restorative justice look like? What about the words of Desmond Tutu? The love of God is big enough to set both the oppressed and the oppressor free. Is it true? Today I pick up my conversation from last week with Chris Hall and Shane Claiborne as they share a recent experience with some folks in a Nashville penitentiary. Unit 2, Death Row. My name is Nathan Foster, and welcome to the Renovare Weekly Podcast. Well, speaking of stepping out of comfort zones and uh, reclaiming kingdom come in spaces, you two did something I found very interesting lately. Could you talk about that? We got to go together to Nashville and visit the, some of the men in Riverbend in Unit 2. And uh, Unit 2 is death row. And so these were is a maximum security facility. And um, I've been visiting some of these uh, men for a couple of years now, and they've really, really impacted my life. So, you know, when Doc and I are having lunch, I'm talking about them, and he's like, I'd really like to go sometime. So <laughs> I uh, uh, was speaking at Belmont, and we had them flip the bill, I think. <laughs> <laughs> we, we wrote the wave on that and uh and we uh we got to go visit him and and you know i think he he uh, uh understood you know why I, I had such a fire in my bones around the death penalty and um you know redemption and and you know you you, you really see I, t- I told chris when we were going in i said one of the things that i found most um surprising uh, maybe it shouldn't be but it's just how normal and it feels once you're there you know mm-hmm. like to be able to interact with these men and tell jokes and talk and you know um uh they made us Kool-Aid one time you know and they you know just <laughs> sitting around and and, and uh, I mean we're, we're kind of conditioned I think to think about um death row or or you know incarcerated people in a certain way and and it and, um and there are there are many folks, even in that same facility, that are deeply troubled psychologically um, uh, and things like that. But we we got to sit with um, some some of our brothers and pray and talk and um, spend a couple hours just just hanging around, hanging out together. Hmm. So so Shay, when you're actually meeting with the people, how how I mean, does this just feel like a normal exchange, or do they kind of you know see you as somebody different? Oh well, I you know I think. Initially, I was invited there because um, I had friends that worked uh, as chaplains, volunteer chaplains and stuff. And so I just went in to listen um, and to get to know them, pray together. We sing, we sing songs. I've taken uh, <laughs> Propaganda, who's an incredible um, uh, spoken word artist, you know, a musician. He came and taken uh, Jonathan Merritt, other friends of mine in there. So I, I uh, Doug Paget and I, we've gone. So I love like introducing. It's very natural, you know, Um and in fact, once I went there, they told me that they've written some of their the authors that they um, read or they appreciate, uh, and and some of them don't come, but some do. And like 
Paul uh, Young that wrote The Shack. He mm. came and visited these guys, Sister Helen, Brian Stevenson. I've all been to visit these same guys, you know, <laughs> in Unit 2. Um, so they're, they, they're um, but when, when you get there, you, there, there's not much pretense, you know. <laughs> uh, so we, we just talk. There's not an agenda. We're not there to give lectures or even preach or anything. We just uh, kind of hang out for a couple hours and we, you know, see where the spirit goes. Um, but I've also began to see, like, as I visited them, the urgency um, around this issue. You know, um, when I first went there, four of the men had um, dates uh, mm. for their execution. So their hours were limited at that point. They didn't know if they'd be alive another year. You know, and that, I mean, I just can't imagine what that's like. Um, and I'll, t- I'll tell you one story. But the mm. first time I went, I think it was the first time I'd ever, ever been to the Riverbend. Um I was speaking at a conference that the governor of Tennessee, uh, Governor Haslam, was speaking at. And so on the way out, I bumped into him. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, and, and I said, I'm praying for you to do what Jesus would have you do when it comes to the death penalty <laughs> in Tennessee. You know, I said, this is my home state. I love Tennessee. And I think we can do better than the death penalty, you know. And so then I go to meet the guys at Unit 2. And I, I said, um, I just bumped into the governor and, uh, I, I, you know, I talked to him and I, and, and then I said, I, I wonder this, what would you say if you bumped into the governor? Mm. And it's quiet for a second. And then the first response is one of the young men says, we would ask him to come to our Friday worship service mm. and worship God with us and pray with us and know mm. us. And I actually made sure the governor knew that that's what they had said. Um, because I think what happens with, you know, any issues, but especially with the death penalty, I think is we have so many layers of distance from it that we, most of us are unaffected by it. And we don't think about, um, uh, what we're doing, you know, even a governor, you know, signs a warrant, a judge gives a verdict, a jury, you know, you know everybody has their role that they play. And so we end up having this, you know, machinery of death that it kind of can feel like we don't have anybody that's actually making decisions on it. And, uh, and because the governor is, I've I've kept on top of him. (laughs) But I thought, I thought that response is unbelievable. I mean, here are men who have a a termination date on their life and the person who has the power to stop that, what would they say? They would say, Come pray with us on Friday morning. It's it's an incredible like human response, but that's kind of what I've I've felt you know every time I've been with these men is is uh, and some of them maintain their innocence. Some of them are very open about what they did, and they you know um, are are clear evidence that they're different people you know than twenty years ago when they may have committed a crime. So each each story is very different, and I've just tried to get to know them you know one on one each of them. Mm-hmm. How, how about Shane? Let people know the work that you've done and the thinking you've done about the victims, because I can hear maybe if someone even listening has been the victim of a crime or uh, a murder has occurred. And uh, how would what's your experience in talking to people who've lost somebody um, and are trying to to wrap the gospel around that loss Particularly uh, when they might know the person who's who's taken their son or daughter or wife, husband's life. Yeah. 
Well, I, I mean, certainly like our grief for victims of violence, like is, you know, in the forefront of our heart as we, we think about all these things. And it, it, it's interesting, though, because it is the the, the victims that um, I've met that are um, some of the most powerful forces in the movement to rethink the death penalty, because many of them um, uh, feel like the death penalty just mirrors the evil that was done to them. You know, mm. I, I've heard some of the victims say, we want to remember the victims of murder, but without creating more violence. Mm. And the death penalty, the death penalty just exacerbates wounds. Um, you know, it, it, it extends the trauma and creates a new set of victims. Um, and, and some of them, like um, w- one of uh, one of the guys that I've, I admire so much, Bud Welch, he, he's um a deeply committed man of faith and his daughter was killed in the Oklahoma city bombing. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said immediately, I mean, instinctively he, he wanted Timothy McVeigh to fry, you know, he said, I would have killed him myself if I could. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, the spirit really started to work on him. He thought about his daughter who was passionately against death penalty. He thought about, and he was watching the news. And it was really when he saw Timothy McVeigh's dad on TV mm-hmm. and his dad was weeping. And he said, I felt like I was looking in the mirror. Those are tears of a father. And he said, I reached out to Timothy McVeigh's dad and he said, I went and met him and they, they, they held each other as they cried. And he said, I've never felt closer to God than in that moment. And they became um, um, just partners through this journey of recovery. And I mean, and, and, and Bud obviously became one very outspoken against the, the execution of Timothy McVeigh. But there's so many other uh, you know, stories of that Suzanne Bossler, who's become a really good friend of mine. She, her, her dad was a pastor who was brutally murdered and Suzanne was almost killed in that. She was stabbed in the head multiple times. And she, um, when it came to the trial though, she said there was never a moment where I wanted the death penalty or my father would have never wanted the death penalty. So she went in court and they told her that if she, if she gave her opinion on the death penalty, she could be charged for contempt of court and obstruction of justice what? because um, they even threatened to put her in jail and fine her because it didn't fit the narrative, you know? And that's what one of the things I learned with the death penalty is we have a certain narrative of around victims. And when they're for the death penalty, we amplify their voice. But when they're against the death penalty, um, we really kind of marginalize them. And we, it doesn't fit that narrative of we should kill or we want justice for the victim. And what we mean by that is we want um, an execution. And so I, I'm, I, um, I, I think that there's, there's so many groups like Journey of Hope that brings together um, incredible groups that bring together victims of murder, uh, their family members, and the family members of those who are on death row and those who are facing execution. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's a powerful thing. I mean, just two weeks ago, I was with someone who um, her dad was executed uh, in the string of executions in Arkansas. And one of the last things that she did was share communion with the family of the victim, um, who also voiced that they were against the execution, but they shared communion as her dad was executed in Arkansas. I think those, those are just, I mean, there's, there's, there's these, these stories move me, but they go, they go to really the heart of the gospel, um, which is, do we believe that anybody's beyond redemption? Um, and, and, uh, and, and that's what I really came to find is that, you know, there's lots of scriptures we can argue in different ways, and that's why I wrote a book on it, you know. But I think that at at the end of the day, one of the question is uh, questions is uh, you know um, doesn't 
Jesus and our belief that Jesus came, you know, not for the healthy, but for the sick, uh, you know, not for the righteous, but for the sinners that, that, that where sin abounds, grace abounds, that mercy triumphs over judgment. These things that we say, like, well, how does that inform how we think about capital punishment? So we're not, we're not in any way saying that horrendous things have not occurred. Horrendous things have occurred. Yeah. Horrific things have occurred. Unimaginable things have yeah. occurred. The question is, and James help me with this, the question is, how would Jesus have us respond to the horror? Yeah. How yeah, would he have exactly us respond it. to the horror? Yeah, that's exactly the right question. And, and you know, because... I mean, evil is real. We we see that, you know, um, you know, in Las Vegas, we see it in Manhattan, we see it, you know, all over the world, like like uh, Dylan Roof, you know, we see so so much violence and going all the way back to Cain and Abel, you know. And I, mm -hmm. I think that the, the question is like, how does Jesus inform how we respond to that? And and you know, one of the victims said to me, We hear, you know, forgive and forget. And she said, I came to realize I needed to forgive and remember mm -hmm. because the power of forgiveness is actually remembering what was done wrong. So it's not at all forgetting that, but it's staring that in the face and saying, for instance, with the death penalty, murder is wrong. So why would I want to try to have someone else killed to show that that that, that killing was wrong? It actually mirrors the very thing we're we're trying to heal the world of, you know, and 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 so yeah, I think I think evil should have consequences. Um and and to be anti-death penalty is not to be anti-victim or anti-justice, you know, mm -hmm. but but to say that we can do better than killing yeah. to show that killing is wrong. Um, and Desmond Tutu, you know, he says that 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 our that the love of God is big enough to set both the oppressed and the oppressors free. That's a beautiful line, but to think that God is healing people who have been victims, but God may is also healing people who have been victimizers and who have done terrible things. Um, and and uh, the the United Methodists have a good statement on it. They say uh, that the death when we argue for the death penalty, it undermines the possibilities of God's redemptive work through Christ. Mm -hmm. And I, I that that's what we're holding out hope for, you know. And if we believe that murderers are beyond redemption. Um, we got some problems with the scripture, you know, Moses killed a man and David killed Uriah, you know, Bathsheba, Saul of Tarsus, you know, oversaw the execution of Stephen in, in the book of Acts. So um, uh, the Bible will be a lot shorter without grace. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a good point. Chris, what, what was this like for you to go and enter into this, this world? Well, I was, uh, it sounds strange, probably. I was very excited to go. Here's here's why. Uh, you know this, Nate. About uh, two and a half years ago, just as I was coming into heading heading on Renovari and being part of the Renovari team and so on, I felt like the Lord said uh, when I woke up one morning, well, what about the prison system? Mm -hmm. And then I thought, well, that must mean in some way that Renovari is supposed to be involved helping incarcerated people. But then as I investigated that, I found out there's lots of things that folks are, Christian folks are doing in the prisons. It's really hard to get into the prisons. Uh, Renovari's got all of, you know, four and a half people working full time. <laughs> uh, we were already kind of maxed out. So I, 
it was in always in my mind and in my heart, but up on the shelf a little bit. Mm-hmm. This has kind of been a holding pattern. Mm-hmm. And then Shane and I were, and and I told Shane about this a while back, and so it caught his interest a little bit, I think. And then we were at, at Chili's, you know, having lunch together, and that's when he told me. Uh, about going down to Nashville and what he was doing there and so on and so forth. And he could tell by my expression that I was begging. (laughs) (laughs) Can I go? Can I go? And it just worked out. He was speaking down at Belmont University and uh, it all worked out. And so my experience was one of, of excitement about being able to move into a learning space that I had not been in a lot. There were a few instances uh, where uh, I had been in a prison situation, I mean, uh, because of it, with my own uh, broader family and so on. Uh, but I'd never been on death row. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't feel nervous because I felt like that's what the, where the Lord wanted, wanted me to be. I felt like just keep quiet and listen and observe mm-hmm. and talk if, if that's what's going to happen. Just keep quiet, listen, observe, and so on. And so uh, I just moved into that new learning space. That I, I indelibly marked in my memory as doors were opening and closing and opening and closing and opening and closing <laughs> and uh, experiencing what folks there who either work there for example, the prison guards or uh, who are incarcerated at what they probably are experiencing day in and day out. I just felt like I was supposed to be open and responsive uh, to my new environment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And didn't know what to expect. Hmm. And so then we walked finally through the last set of doors after walking by where uh, some of the executions take place and so on, just walked in into a room. It was a circular room with cubicles and cells and so on. And, uh, uh, and there were five or six guys there. And so I thought, and they were had white t-shirts on and had said with a number. And then they had sweatpants on that said on the black line, Ten- Tennessee Department of Corrections. And there these folks were I'd never met before. And I walked in not knowing what to expect and suddenly hugs <laughs> <laughs> hugs and and one of them saying ah we're so happy you're here mm. we're so happier and then saying praise god praise god we're so happy you're here so and then we we had plastic chairs in a circle and i sat down and i think it was almost three hours we just yeah. talked we just talked uh, just talked. And at the end of our time together, uh, one of these guys walked over with a spiral notebook and he said, he said, uh, uh, Chris, all I do here is pray. Mm-hmm. All, and they don't have a lot to do. All I do here is pray. And, uh, I have a, uh, he showed me his spiral notebook and he had names in it. And he said, I want to pray for you. What can I pray for you about? And I said, well, my wife for a stretch was having health problems. So I said, well, you can, you can pray for Debbie. And he looked at me and he said, I am going to be praying for Debbie. Wow. 
And then the other guy next to me heard what was going on. And he said, I'm going to be praying for Debbie too. And so uh, I don't want to sentimentalize this or mm-hmm. make it any less, less than, than uh, it is in terms of, of horrific things that have happened. Mm-hmm. Victims who suffered. But God was also present there. It's like God was saying, this is my space. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, one it, one know, of the guys that we, we met with says, we don't call it death row. We call it life row because life is everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a it's a piece of God's redemption. Yeah. Kingdom come yeah. in this round. Yeah, why would why space. would we why would we think that there are spaces where God's not present and active and working? And, and I would, think you're yeah. I think you're right in saying, you know, you don't want to sentimentalize this either because we walk by the chamber where they kill people, you mm-hmm. know, like um where the executions happen. We walked right by it. You know, I pray over that space every, every time we go there that it would uh uh, not ever happen again, you know, in that space. And we, we, um, know that we weren't seeing all that facility either. There's a, a you know, psychological ward, there's a solitary, you know, confinement yeah. area. There's, there's some really, really, um, and, and even the stories that we were hearing about people's medical treatment and people's lifespan is actually decreased when they, um, are spending life in mm-hmm. prison. So they actually, they actually change the life expectancy, um, uh, as they determine budgets and things like that, they know people are going to die uh, younger than if they were not living in prison and the, mm-hmm. the health, the health uh, access is terrible and things like that. So all those things were real. And I think even as we think about the, the prison buildup and things like that, there's, there's a lot that we're praying for, you know, as we are there, but I mean, the, the humanity and the joy and the, the resilience, I think of, um, we, you, I, every time I go, I feel the spirit of God there. I learn things. I feel the love and, you know, embrace of these guys that many people would just think, uh, only monsters are there. And that's, uh, that's just not true. Mm-hmm. Shane, I'm curious in your work with these folks and with the issue at large, uh, what have you learned about God and yourself through these experiences? Wow. Well, I mean, I, I've certainly, um, First of all, I spent a lot of my life in favor of the death penalty, you know, Um, so I think, you know, even just rethinking how I think about justice um, and um, the the, the idea in Scripture that righteousness and justice are partners, you know, that they're, they're married together and that that God's justice isn't just about what did someone do wrong and what do they deserve, but it's actually about asking questions like what harm was done and what well, how can we really heal the wounds of that harm that, uh, you know, many of us talk about restorative justice. Mm-hmm. And I've come to find that a lot of these men who have been through so much and um, and some who have done great harm, their their wounds um, are are able to help heal. And many of them have been wounded in their life. And, you know, Henry Nouwen talks a lot about how we are wounded healers, mm-hmm. you know, that, the, 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 that we're conditioned to think that our bumps and bruises are a liability to be ashamed of, but they're actually our credentials, you know, um, and those who have been wounded often are uh, making credible healers in the world. And so many of these men know the power of grace and forgiveness because they felt it firsthand, you know, um, and so uh, that that's, you know, two of the guys that we were with, one, one of them got ordained um, in prison. Um, and he is kind of a pastor inside of Unit 2 um, there. So 
Um, yeah, it's, and, but then I think, you know, it's very possible that he could be executed. Um, and, and, and that, you know, that it just kind of constantly hits you in the face. And, and that's why I think the personalism is what's so important, you know, is because we, we talk about these issues, but we don't always remember the names and faces. And it, it's things like in my Bible here, I carry one, one of the guys I used to, uh, visit there with Chris. He wasn't there this time because he's not, he's not on death row anymore. And he wrote me this little card. It says, as I was sealing up my letter, I was moved off death row after 30 years. And I just walked on grass a few seconds ago for the first time in 30 years. And he talks about what it's like to walk on grass for the Mm -hmm. first time in three decades. And so I I think that's what we're, we're talking about, you know, is, is what, does God's real restorative justice look like? And what are we doing to people through um, a system that um, in, in many ways doesn't leave much space for redemption? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's helpful. What would, what would you say for people who are listening who would like to be involved, care about some of these issues? What can they do? A couple of ways to make this this personal is we, we I have some friends that have a podcast with folks who are living on death row, um, mm-hmm. and it's it's pretty complicated as you imagine. But they basically call into a line and record some of their stories and writing and prayer requests and things like that. And um, it's called Lifelines, okay. and so folks can find that. Um, this is not the men in Tennessee, but it's uh, folks in other facilities that are a uh, part of that. But it's a way to like you know, know people and hear their stories. I think um, folks can read some of these stories. A lot of these folks have written books about the power of, of forgiveness and their faith. And um, folks can also go to my website. We have a website, uh, executinggrace.com. Uh, that's the name of the my book on the death penalty and, and forgiveness. And it's uh, executinggrace.com. And on there, you can find a whole bunch of different groups like the one I mentioned with murder victims, family members and others that are uh, have been directly affected by this. A lot of statistics and things like that, too. Um, and, uh, and and I think, you know, the important thing is to figure out ways that you can um, you can do some of this yourself. You know, there's a lot of really great groups that um uh, connect through, uh, you know, pen pals or writing back and forth with folks in prison, or you can connect up with a group that's already visiting uh, near you. And and they're almost everywhere I go, there are churches and people that um, are able to go in and, and visit um, folks. Because, you know, at the end of the day, we're going to come before God. And Jesus is one of the things we're going to be asked is when I was in prison, did you visit me? Hmm. And, uh, and, and so I think, you know, God's not saying to folks in prison, find the church, you know, God's saying to us, I think, go into the world, go into the prisons. Um, So let's uh, find ways to do that. And it it does take a little work, you know, um, an incentive to do it. But uh, I mean, it it kind of you got to be a little bit ambitious to get in there. But um, (laughs) yeah. And, and, you know, I think we're excited to be talking with you all at Renovari about ways that we can support these men in Tennessee and other folks around the country that may want uh, books and spiritual resources, and that who also, in fact, may be a spiritual resource and may have a lot of wisdom and, and time to be praying for 
folks and and things that they're learning that would be really beneficial for all of us, you know, because like Chris said, a lot of these men are spending a whole lot of time reading and thinking and praying. And um, and and, I mean, um, some of these original penitentiaries were built like the monasteries because they were in the cells were modeled after the old monasteries. uh, And even the word penitentiary shares the repentance. You know, it was Mm -hmm. meant to be a place of restoration and to rethink how we think and live. And it was, I think, never meant to be quite the the travesty of mass incarceration that we have right now that often just becomes a warehouse for people for the rest of their lives. So I, I think we can we can try to make some of those changes. And I'm optimistic on the death penalty. Millennials in particular, millennial Christians were asked, are you for or against the death penalty? And 80% of them said we're against the death penalty. Wow. And it's because we just can't reconcile it with our faith. Um, uh, and even Americans as a whole, when they were polled, are overwhelmingly uh, standing against the death penalty and towards alternatives to it. Uh, they, they asked folks, would Jesus be in, I think it was Pew that asked people, would Jesus be in favor of the death penalty? And 95% of Americans said, no, they just mm-hmm. said, we got to convince the Christians to take him seriously. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. Chris, you have some, some ideas for ways people in the our community can be helpful. Sure. So folks, if you're interested in sending books. The way to send those books would be to send them to Renovari. And then as an organization, it's easier to get materials into folks than simply individuals on the outside of a prison individually trying to do so. So I wanted to encourage you, either if you want to write or if you'd like to give books, mm-hmm. because folks there really look forward to receiving something to read, send it to the Renovari office and send it to Renovari, P.O. Box 370090. Let me say that again for you. It's a long number. P.O. Box 370090. And that would be in Denver, Colorado. 80237. That's again the address Denver, Colorado. 80237. And and on um, whatever it is that you send, just write attention, Joan Scully, S K U L L E Y, Joan Scully. She doesn't know that I'm doing this to her, but she'll be glad. <laughs> All right. That's good. And it, and again, the um, the website, shaneexecutinggrace.com. And then the podcast yeah. Lifeline, Lifelines, yes. Yeah, Lifelines, awesome. Yeah. Cool. Hey, this has been great. We'll have to have another conversation about old new monasticism next time or something. Oh, that'd be fun. <laughs> Ooh, that would that'd be, be good. fun. So, we love you guys. I've got to hop off, but I, uh, we, I'm so grateful for both of you, and, and we love, the obviously, all the work at Renovari. So we'll keep looking for ways we can team up. Sounds good. Okay. Thanks, guys. Awesome, this pal. is great. Talk to you soon, Chris. Okay. See you. Love y'all. Bye. Well, there you have it. You might remember a while back, I did a podcast with Josh Banner on his work in the prisons. I just heard today a number of you have reached out to help him in his work. Thank you. What a wonderful community we have here. Renovari in prisons. Hmm, interesting. If you'd like to learn more about Shane's work with The Simple Way, you can visit their website at simpleway.org. You can also check out Shane's page, shaneclaiborne.org. 
Our offices are closed this week, celebrating American Thanksgiving, so we won't have a release next Monday. But have a wonderful holiday, and may the powerful practice of giving thanks find you well.